Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi there, this is Martina Navratilova. Uh, hi, I'm Mats Wilander. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. I'm Catherine Whitaker. alongside me is David Law and we're in the cosy surrounds of Costa Coffee Putney. David, due to the fact that it has been nine days since we last recorded, and I must admit that's my fault, at the very least the migraine god's fault, there has been an awful lot of eventful happenings in the world of tennis which we must cover today, so it's going to be... A punchy, punchy podcast today. No fence-sitting, no waftiness, no pole vaults. Well, first of all, what are you saying about what I normally say on this show? Waftiness, fence-sitting, well, pole vaults, yes, I accept. Uh, all right, let's just crack on. Come on. No, no accusations. I'm just, I'm just laying down the law, if you'll allow me a pun early on I think we should end the podcast. podcast on that particular note. That's horrendous. <laughs> David has hot-footed it here from Stratford, where he has been commentating for BT Sport. Last night, he was commentating for BT Sport on Maria Sharapova versus Mariana lucic Broni. He broke the news live to BT Sport viewers as Bernard Giudicelli, the president of the FFT, was breaking the news on his personal Facebook page, which I find highly amusing. I mean, he's got an eye for theatre. I'll I'll give him that, certainly. David broke the news live to BT Sport viewers that Maria Sharapova, much to the, I think, widespread surprise of the tennis world, will not be receiving either a main draw or a qualies wildcard to the French Open. He said there can be a wildcard for the return from injuries. There cannot be a wildcard for the return from doping. He said, I'm very sorry for Maria, very sorry for her fans. They might be very disappointed. She might be very disappointed. But it is my responsibility, my mission to protect the high standards of the game played without any doubt of the result. It's very much a personal statement. It's not about the FFT, is it? It's definitely about Giudicelli himself. Now, there has been so much reaction to this. Maria Sharapova took to the court minutes afterwards in advance of the decision. She said she wouldn't know the decision before she took to the court. I find it extraordinary and almost unbelievable to think she wouldn't have known the decision and to think that she would have left it in other people's hands. All it would take is one member of the crowd shouting out to her. I can't believe she wouldn't have wanted to take control and make sure she found out in her own way and she was immediately broken by Miriana lucic Broni early on in the match it wasn't the best of starts she ended up taking uh, a commanding lead in the match she leveled it and she broke at the start of the third then she went off court for treatment presumably to the hip slash thigh area something she needed treatment for off court she then after a few more points retired from the match she then didn't do a press conference because she said she had to go off-site for further treatment david you were commentating on all of this you were integral to the way that the uk tennis fans were delivered this news what's your take on all of it integral irrelevant similar um i would say uh, i i was astonished really that and i think most of us were that that was the the degree to which they they decided to make their decision ultimately even though we've been throwing this around for a while I, i thought that they would probably give her a qualifying wild card and and kind of couch it as yes we're we're not giving her a red carpet back into the into the tournament she's got to work her way back in that regard but we're not also kicking her out for good um so 
I was I was very surprised. On on one hand, uh, I I think it it is kind of refreshing to to see somebody in the sport make a real stand about this issue and and not consider assuming that there has been no consideration made to the commercial benefits that her involvement would bring assuming that that is the case i think that that is refreshing to 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 discover that that that, that there has is happened. something bigger than yeah. than money and Absolutely sponsorship right. in sport. and and it is just such a hugely important issue um and and the words themselves we do not give wild card we give wild cards for players that are injured but not for those that have failed doping tests you know i i kind of listen to that and i think well yeah fair enough actually and and, and ultimately i think that that is what wimbledon will probably come to their view on uh, as well and 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 i would say from a grand slam position that that is the right position I, i'm comfortable with that position slightly less comfortable with the the facebook live on a personal page <laughs> personal by facebook. the fft president it was extraordinary kiki nadenovic was in her post-match press conference she lost incidentally yesterday in rome she was in her post-match press conference sat there at the front of the room while all the awaiting journalists were sat there on their laptops refreshing live streams saying hang on kiki can you just hang on there a minute so that we can get the verdict uh, of bernard judicelli before we do your press conference so that we can ask you about what he says on his own personal Facebook Live. And the journalist didn't know whether it was going to come on an official FFT stream, whether it was going to come on the French Open Facebook Live. But no, in the end, it was on his personal one. Um, I have to say, I, I did find that a very strange decision, the fact that there was this big fanfare about the announcement and all this theatre, and then it was, uh, we're not going to give you one. It was almost like it should be afterwards. It was... It was really very strange. A few footnotes, well, I mean, massive footnotes to the story we've had. WTA CEO Steve Simon releasing a statement this morning to some very raised eyebrows. Frankly, he said, wildcards are offered at tournaments sole discretion. I fully support the players that received wildcards and wish them the very best of luck. It's going to be a very exciting fortnight at Roland Garros. You'd think that the statement might end there. But no, he says, what I do not agree with is the basis put forward by the FFT for their decision with respect to Maria Sharapova. She has complied with the sanction imposed by CAS. The tennis anti-doping programme is a uniform effort supported by the Grand Slams, WTA, ITF and ATP. There are no grounds for any member of the TADP to penalise any player beyond the sanctions set forth in the final decisions resolving these matters. Um, and I think the use of the word penalise is what's caused most consternation because... Uh, that seems to me a complete misunderstanding of the offering of wild cards. That's that's above and beyond. Well, There's no penalising by not offering a wild card. The, that the is statement not is statement is fundamentally contradictory because it's saying in one breath that the award of wild cards is at the sole discretion of tennis tournaments. Yeah, I think we all agree agree on that. And frankly, they can do it on whatever basis they want. And if their view is that there is a, a more important statement to be sent out by not awarding a wild card to somebody who's failed a doping test then that is up to them it, it really is that I, I don't i just don't i don't understand why steve simon has got involved on this level of it I don't, it just doesn't make any sense to me no it doesn't to me either i don't i, I really don't know what it, even if that is how he genuinely feels which i have to believe that it is because i can't see any other reason for putting out a statement of that nature why why? There was nobody calling for a statement of that nature. I mean, he could have put out something completely anodyne and avoided all the gunfire which he is now getting. Some other pretty major footnotes. A couple of uh, things to point out which have been pointed out by a number of people on Twitter. Of course, Ben Rothenberg uh, is one of them. Um, Maria Sharapova has been offered a wildcard to Strasbourg next week, which is an FFT event. And we understand that that wildcard is supported by the FFT. She's also been offered one to Nuremberg, which isn't an FFT event, but just incidentally, we're very likely to see her in action next week in either Strasbourg or Nuremberg. Uh, well, I, I'm not I'm not convinced about that. Given the way she was physically on the court yesterday, she looked in, that looked like a pretty unpleasant injury to me. I don't think she'll be playing anywhere next week. Uh, I also think now she'd surely be thinking, well, why bother? You know, I, I've got. Uh, I'm not preparing for the French Open anymore. You know, the, the the her her next attentions will surely go to Wimbledon qualifying and get, getting ready physically for that. 
Well, that is the other. <laughs> well, no, there is. St- I'm, I'm still. That's I'm still going. I'm still a, rattling uh, through these footnotes. Yeah. So the fact that she uh, is out in the second round stage of Rome, she recorded a, a good victory over Christina McHale first round because uh, retiring from her match yesterday in the second round means that Wimbledon will have to make a decision about main draw qualies. She's already in m- main draw wildcard. Even she's already in two qualies, but they will Which have I'm to make about. and announce their decision. I mean, yeah. I, you know, look, if she'd have won through those matches and reached the same and got into Wimbledon as of right fair play to her she'd have she'd have worked her way back in there's a curiosity for me as to what Wimbledon will do and and now we will find out uh, another thing to point out this has been pointed out by someone called David James uh, on Twitter not the former England goalkeeper as far as I know could be could be could be. He does have a blue tick next to his name, no. but he also has AFP in his title, and I suspect that's quite a common name. So my guess is this is not David James, former England goalkeeper. He says, double standards, question mark, Frenchman Constant Lestienne gets wildcard in qualifying despite serving in a ban for illegal betting. That's a pretty good point, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of the three areas of this decision that are a little uncomfortable. For me, the somewhat grandstanding nature of hosting a, a Facebook Live and, and making it seem like some form of X Factor uh, competition, I, I just, you know, I'm sorry, I, that doesn't feel quite right to me. Particularly, I think he, he made the announcement about Sharapova last of all to build up the, the whole event. You know, yeah, you got good engagement, but really, is that the place for it? Is that the issue for it? Anyway, that's what happened. Uh, the, the other two, are, as we've discussed the the, the Strasbourg, the, the, the Strasbourg situation and and the the wild card to somebody who's who's uh, also yeah. fallen foul of the rules. I to mean, to play devil's advocate, I'm sure what they say about Strasbourg is that tour events aren't subject are subject to commercial pressures that uh, Grand Slams aren't, and they have the luxury at Grand Slams to be able to take a, a stand which they don't at tour level events. I, I, I'm, I'm that's supposition that defends they haven't come out with that they haven't released a statement on it but that's presumably what they'd say but the the wild card for the player that served a uh, betting ban does seem um an odd one i wonder if they will uh, release a statement to defend that just one final point uh, mariana lucic baroni of course nobody had the opportunity to speak to maria sharapova last night and um, all these journalists on deadline waiting with bated breath and there she is going off site to receive uh, medical treatment uh, much to their disdain but they did get to speak to mariana lucic Baroni. I'm not sure there was disdain actually about Sharapova, but she was clearly injured. And now, if she's got a major tear or something like that, I can understand her going and getting treatment she for it. She could have released a statement I, about the wild card. She, she? she released a statement about what she wanted to, and frankly, I think that's kind of up to her. I, I, Absolutely. I, I have no problem it's with that. It's entirely up to her. She's within the rules. That's fine. But again, I think a good PR move yeah, would I'd have been to that. release a statement yeah. addressing it. I, th- I think the whole thing. Just saying, thing, I'm disappointed. PR wise, she's. She, she, she just hasn't caught the temperature of the situation to me one iota. Uh, whether that's her team's advice, whether that's her, I just think she's misjudged how people feel about this issue. It, it's 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 not. She isn't the victim in this situation. She, she is in her mind, though. She certainly well, is. And and just a final thing on this topic. We will move on shortly. I'm sure. But it, I mean, it's amazing how many developments there have been over the past. Well, as I say, just 15 hours since this came out. Mariana Lucic Brony. They did have the opportunity to speak to. She compared Maria Sharapova to Lance Armstrong. Yeah, I think that's night. ridiculous, frankly. I mean, I, I, I like Mariana Lucic Brony. I know what she's getting at, but uh, I don't think the two are comparable, personally. That, that having been said, I, I also think it's perfectly fair enough for the French Open not to award a wild card of any type to her. And um, I think, the, the, I do, you know, I feel differently about the tour events generally just because I can understand the position that they are in, the challenges that they have. The, the slams don't have those challenges. And, and you know, I, I took some stick a, a, a couple of weeks ago for saying that I feel as though Wimbledon uh, should be aspiring to be the sort of moral guardians of the sport. I, I got absolutely hammered for that. But, but I feel pretty strongly about well, it. Well, I just wonder if Wimbledon are a bit annoyed because I think you're absolutely right and I think Wimbledon do see themselves as the moral guardians of the sport and that probably would be a big factor in their decision on the wild card. And yet here you've got Bernard Giudicelli setting himself out as the sole moral guardian of the sport. I wonder if and, they feel a little bit gazumped you know, by there, that. I'm, I'm sh- there are plenty of other incidents is over the period of time where you can point at them and say well hold on a minute 
Wimbledon were the last of the party at giving equal prize money. Wimbledon don't give the same degree of preference to to players on the WTA circuit for centre court um, scheduling, and so and, and you know I, I I accept all of those, and I, I don't think that they're whiter than white in that regard. I think that they, they, they make mistakes. I don't agree with everything that they do, but I think that their aspiration should be to be above just commercial interests and, and, and this is a, a, a big element of that. Yeah, I agree. Just one final point on Maria Sharapova, which is that her three losses since returning to the Tour have come to her three biggest critics in the WTA. Kiki Mladenovic, Jeannie Bouchard and Mariana Lucic-Baroni. That's going to hurt. Scripts-wise, writer-wise, <laughs> it has been a, an absolute joy. I mean, look, you know, we, we look at it and as, as an entertainment business to some degree and the journalistic world, we're looking for headlines and, and, uh, and stories that we can talk about. And all three of those are just delicious, aren't they, in that regard? I mean, it was just set up perfectly. It was soap opera stuff that the three players that have criticised her would be her opponents and that then she would get... I mean, it was extraordinary yesterday to see her walking onto the court just 10 minutes after we heard this announcement from the French Open. Um, and, yeah, as, as a commentary exercise, I, I, I've certainly never had anything like that before. Um, but, yeah, very interesting thing to have been part of. David Law was like that voiceover bloke on The X Factor. <laughs> That's a first. <laughs> a brummy version. Uh, so that is Maria Sharapova, I think, pretty handily dealt with. Um, of course, I mentioned her loss to Jeannie Bouchard there, which I promised we would talk about in the last podcast, but it feels like it happened about 400 years ago now. It was a good match, though, wasn't it, David? It was an amazing match, and I think that that's one thing to remember, that once, once the ban has been completely... Well, I, I don't think it'll ever be completely forgotten about, but if we if we eventually put that to one side and just focus on the tennis matches that she plays hereafter that was a reminder of the sort of matches that she can be part of and I, th- and I do feel that the the view of the locker room towards her is such that they do raise their level against her those yeah, three players true. you mentioned Lucic, Baroni, Mladenovic, Bouchard they played with an extra edge because it was Maria Sharapova maybe it's partly due to the, the doping test maybe it's because of her air of detachment and what they would feel is superiority in the, in the way she carries herself they, they just want to beat her more than anybody else yeah, I think that's a fantastic point. Just while we're on Madrid, I know it feels like an age, age ago, but we we can't ignore it. And I do apologise that this podcast is coming to you a couple of days late, and that is why it feels like Madrid was uh, 100 years ago. But we, we can't ignore what happened there. I think we should talk about uh, the final between Simona Halep and Kiki Mladenovic. It was a sensational final. It was a sensational victory, defending champion Simona Halep backing up what she did last year. There was a wobble. Though I did think Halep was going to throw it away. I thought Mladenovic was going to win her first Premier Mandatory title. And just while we're on the subject of the final, by massive contrast to what we were saying about Steve Simon's statement on Maria Sharapova today, I thought he issued a cracking statement following the final uh, in Madrid about Nelly Nastasi's involvement in the prize-giving ceremony. Of course, uh, it should be pointed out that Jan Tiriak, Romanian, is the tournament owner in Madrid. Great friends of Ili Nastasi. Nastasi was in attendance for most of the week in Madrid, and that probably uh, is why he was uh, invited to be involved in the prize-giving. But WTA CEO Steve Simon's statement on the matter the next day uh, said it was a fantastic final, etc., etc. Quote, the only shadow cast on the day was Mr. Nastasi's invitation to participate in today's award ceremony. He had no place on court today. He is currently under a provisional suspension by the ITF for his prior offensive actions and we revoked his credential privileges at WTA events while the investigation is being completed. It was both irresponsible and unacceptable if the Madrid Open to bestow him an official role. The Madrid tournament is a premier-level event and held to the highest standards of professional tennis and leadership, which were not reflected today. Now, that is punchiness in keeping with this punchy tennis podcast, isn't it? I was so impressed with that statement. Yeah, well, he, yeah, he, he, he made his... Uh, feelings very well known and, and I mean I think what, what we're getting from those two different statements is ultimately statements from, from bodies such as the WTA they are stances they are opinions they are positions that they take 
not everybody's necessarily going to agree with them. I, I, I share your, your views that, that that is quite refreshing in its, uh, in its punchiness. At the same time, I find it slightly unsettling that that is their view, that they have revoked all of those privileges, and yet he's still there, and he's still on the podium, and, he, and he's part of it all. Uh, we had a similar situation at the Davis Cup. He, he gets told he's no longer allowed anywhere near the site. He walks straight into the VIP area the next day. So how, how, what sort of teeth do these organisations actually have to impose these sort of rules that they're talking about? Yeah, I'd say that's a very, very good point. Simona Halep, Kiki Mladenovic, where would you put them in the list of favourites for the French Open, given that the, uh, the, uh, at the time of the Maria Sharapova announcement, she was the bookie's second favourite for yeah, the French th- Open, th- that's which an- is another unreal. another delicious irony, really. I, I, I think Simona Halep right at the top. I think she looks the best player in the world on clay. I think Mladenovic is a, is a breath of fresh air, the way she's come to the four. She's now fourth in the race to Singapore. So she's effectively the fourth best player this year so far. She's reached well, she the is. Stuttgart and Halep. Uh, so the Stuttgart and Madrid final she's reached now has Mladenovic. And, uh, okay, uh, give me your top five. Oh, goodness. I mean, it's... It, I'd say it's the hardest year that I can ever it remember. Is. Could Medanovic win it? I'm just going to keep firing you punchy yeah, questions at you. Do you know there's so many players I think could win it? The, yeah, I the, agree. The, the, I could probably there's probably 15 players that if they have a hot streak are actually good enough at playing tennis to win seven matches. A lot of it will be how they hold themselves together because Halep, we we don't know whether she's able to sustain that yet. What I did find I, I, very refreshing was her admission uh, that she had been told by Darren Cahill that he no longer wanted to work with her anymore after the Miami match against Joe Conta. And, and he, he said... Which was the match which, where we really analysed yeah. the coaching exchange between them. He said that I, I'm not, I'm not having... I don't mind you not playing well. I'm not having that sort of attitude. That's what he told the WTA insider, Courtney Nguyen. And, and you yeah, know, it's fascinating. It, it was very interesting. He, he, she, and she had to then make that decision. I'm not going to self-combust on court anymore. I'm not going to just start throw my toys out the pram the way she did there and stop beating myself up and, 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 and capitulating. I know that this is a punchy podcast, but I'm going to throw a hypothetical um, question at you anyway that there's no possible answer to, but I, I would like the, uh, the law opinion. Uh, if on-court coaching were allowed at the slams, how much would that elevate Simona Halep's chances of winning the French? How much does it help Simona Halep ah, to have th- Darren Cahill? I think it would certainly add a, add a few percent. I think it's it's quite interesting that he's he and she have tried to make the decision for her not to come onto the court as much at WTO events in order to to, to prepare her for the slams where that that's a, not an option. I I think it would certainly give her an extra three or four percent, maybe five percent. You know, it's impossible to poss- to, to measure, of course, but. But he is so good at communicating. That, that, having, that having been said, he came on in that match against Joe Conta. She was beyond help at that point. She'd made up her mind that this is all going to go wrong. There's no, there's no salvaging it. And it didn't matter what he said. But as coaches go, to me, he's just about the best in the business. He's pure class. He should, he should give, le- give lessons in on-court coaching to the rest of them. You have ducked one of my punchy questions, David, so I'm going to come it? back to it before we move on. Give me your top five for the French Open and is defending champion Garbini Muguruza in there? I'd have five to, names I mean, in the next I'd, 20 seconds. I'd, 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 I'd probably have to say no, but then I f- also feel she's the Stan Wawrinka of women's tennis who can just flick a switch and there we are. I, I'd say the top five are Simona Halep, um, Goodness me. Mladenovic would be in the top five now for me, I think. Is Kerber in there? No, I I don't think she is. Uh, Goodness me, I'm finding it so hard to think of of the names. Is Coco Vandeweghe in there? No, she's not. I I think it it is going to be more clay court type Is Caroline Wozniacki in there? No, she's not. Is Carlos Suarez Navarro in there? Is Tamir Bashinsky in there? She could be. She could be. She could be in the... Certainly, she could be a quarter-finalist, I would say. Um... Yeah. Is Svetlana Kuznetsova in there? Yes, definitely. Definitely. She she is in the top five. Yeah, yeah. She, I would completely agree with that. She I think she's a sneaky favourite, really. I, I, I'd, I'd say she could definitely reach the final. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I mean, she's won the thing before, yeah. and she's in great form. Depending I mean, on she how should the draw be goes, more, frankly, would, yeah. wouldn't be that surprised if it was a Kuznetsova-Halep final if the draw allowed. 
Yeah, but I wouldn't write off Mladenovic. It all depends how well she deals with the playing at home factor. But I really, I really like the cut of her jib just at the moment. So while we're talking about uh, Madrid, should we just mention the fact that <laughs> Nadal's won another one? Yeah, I think we should. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's he's only won the five Madrid titles to go with his ten Barcelona. Doesn't sound very much somehow, does Monte it? We, I mean, that's because Madrid hasn't always been on clay. How many well, would he have won? True, but also he, he, it's not always suited him. Actually, that that particular tournament and the fact that he he won it, um, very good match in the end against Dominic Team, who I think we should also say maybe maybe proven us wrong. Yeah, I'm not going to say moment. anything about Dominic Team, other than I, to say that maybe he's proven you wrong. Possibly. I'm going to hold back until the French. He needs to peek at the French. Know, it's looking good at the moment. I agree. Thing, he's, proved, he's in the process of proving just me on wrong. Dominic we'll see team. in a couple of weeks. Just on Dominic team. We, we talked about what his thinking was. And I just wonder, somebody, I can't remember who it was, mentioned the name of Thomas Muster not that long ago, in the last few days, as somebody who used to do exactly what team has been doing, obviously a heck of a lot more successfully. Muster just used to play every single week, win every single week, and build this this feeling of indestructibility about him you know and I, I wonder whether that's who team has decided to try to to to, to copy and follow I, I've no idea um, but getting away from Nadal it's not fair he needs to be given his due for this because think of where we were two years ago think of where we were even a year ago with Nadal most people I think thought he was done as a Grand Slam force and we We've obviously got. I did. I hold my hands up. Hugely carried away with Federer at the start of this year, understandably so. He he, he only lost one match. He won Australian Open, Indian Wells, Miami. I think now Nadal is. If he if he wins this French Open, he deserves to be treated exactly on a par with Federer for this year in terms of shock factor and achievement at having rebuilt his career. I, I, maybe that's too strong. He certainly rebuilt his aura. And his and his, if he wins a tenth French Open, it, it is one of the great Mind achievements boggles, of I, all time. Yeah, I, I I couldn't agree with you more. It's completely taken me aback. You know, I, I, this. Well, I mean, I'm on record, aren't I? According to my previous statements, this is more of a surprise. If it, let's assume he does go, and I realise that's a big assumption at this stage, but he is such a heavy favourite to win a tenth at Roland Garros let's assume he does that I said I didn't think that would happen and I did say I thought Roger Federer would win an 18th so for, for me for me they're on a par in terms of surprise factor and and I don't know I, I, I feel sorry for the Murray and Djokovic fans who obviously uh, are suffering a little bit because their players They've aren't doing it they got time to come back they're only 30 to, to me the whole thing makes my heart sing that these two greats of the game are having even if it is their final year of total dominance and I don't think it is I think that they've got more in the tank it's just a joy me too and I have to say Madrid was the first time that I really thought I mean I've been incredibly impressed with Nadal this year and particularly on the clay of course but I still thought he was a shadow was far too strong a world but I still thought he paled a bit in comparison to Nadal of old but in Madrid I started to think, yes, this is an Nadal that is close to Nadal at his best. I really did. The way he was hitting that forehand, I still think he's a shade off it. Nadal at his very peak. I'm judging him by his own extraordinarily high standards. But I think, I do think he's getting there, which it's, is it's an the, amazing thing to it's say. It's the conviction with which he's playing. I remember when he, when he lined up against Djokovic a couple of days ago and looked at the record and I did a pole vault it was it was so emphatically that people thought Nadal would win that I was shocked I mean it was something like 84 and it pro- well hang on it provoked it provoked quite a debate between you and I well yeah a bit, but because a bit. I thought you were completely misinterpreting the data all right well that aside no but because because if 84 percent if that doesn't mean people felt 84 percent strongly that Nadal was going to win it just meant 84 percent of people every one of those 84 percent could have felt that it was 51 49 yeah you, you've got a point I just can't I, I was surprised that that many people ultimately fell on the side of Nadal given the fact that Djokovic had won their last seven matches and the yeah, last three on play so much since obviously then. they have I, I just I, I was still surprised that Djokovic wasn't able and I 
there is no switch there to flick, no, as we I, sometimes I, I talk about. I commentated that semi-final. We're going to come on to talk about Djokovic in more detail. Well, why don't we just I, do it I now? Let's do it now. I just, I just, I'm, still, I'm still trying to make sense of, of what has happened to Novak Djokovic. Well, I mean, there we go. So I commentated that uh, semi-final between Nadal and Djokovic for Tennis Radio. David and I had this huge debate about interpretation of pole vault data uh, before. I've, I've never before seen you so engaged match. before in pole vault. I was quite pleased. It was really engaged. I was really, my brother would have been so proud of me I was really really getting into the nitty-gritty of data analysis um, but I, I came down on the side of Nadal but I, I think I put it at 60-40 maybe a little bit more in Nadal's favour I commentated that match for tennis radio there was never a moment when Djokovic was in it it was extraordinary he walked on he didn't think he could win that match he walked onto the court not thinking he could win and for a world number two that has won the previous seven meetings about this guy that hadn't been beaten by this guy since the final of Roland Garros 2014. I mean, whatever struggles he's ha- having, you have to walk on thinking, I've beaten you seven times in a row, don't you? I think he probably thought he could until about the first half a dozen points. And then, the, uh, you know... But it, it reminded me of the way Guillermo Fis played against Novak Djokovic at the US Open last year. He went into panic mode so early. It was like a few points went by. Nadal played them brilliantly and he went... Oh God, my game's not good enough. I have to do something ridiculous, and 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 he just completely went to pieces, exactly like Gemmel Feast did against him at the U.S. Open. It was like, hang on a minute, so it's only a game. <laughs> You're still a very good tennis player. Believe that your game, if it comes together, will be good enough. I, I mean, it, it really. I mean, and yes, he pulled I, I, it together I, a I bit didn't in like the second it. set. I have to say, I did not like seeing that, uh, and and I, I felt the same about. Nadal the last couple of years I felt the same about Federer in 2013 when he was losing to Tommy Robredo and all those players on clay don't like seeing all-time greats of which Novak Djokovic is one you know I know I know know everybody he's not not everybody's a a huge fan of Djokovic maybe the neutrals don't he's won a career grand slam he is an all-time great I don't like seeing great players champions struggling I just it just feels really uncomfortable to me no and I have to I found it I didn't the the match against Nadal I found it less uncomfortable just because of the sheer brilliance of Nadal yesterday I commentated uh, Djokovic's opening match in Rome against Aliash Bedene and I which he won uh, 7-6 6-2 I think in the end it was a pretty emphatic victory I thought his level of play was actually pretty good it was a lot better than I've seen him play of late and yet his body language his remonstrations on the court were as negative as I've seen it was a th- thoroughly bizarre performance he was doing that sort of sarcastic laughing that Andy Murray does a lot of the time I mean there was zero joy about being on the tennis court and I actually found that the the most uncomfortable performance I've seen from Novak Djokovic there was and there's I discovered Pepe Yamaz's website this week oh yeah (laughs) have you seen it have you signed up to the newsletter have you seen it no I haven't check out Pepe Yamaz's website look I'm not I'm not going to say anything because each to their own but (laughs) Just check okay. it out. I'll, I'll look it up. No, I, I, I share the, the, the view. Um, just generally, I, I'd like to see Djokovic find his way back because, you know, the ultimate in any sport is to see all the best players playing the best at the same time. That's that's what we're looking for. We want we want to see the real Djokovic, the real Murray, the real Nadal, the real Federer. I want it all. I, I agree with you. I agree with you. I, I want to see them all at their best. I, I don't know if that's going to come. I have to believe that Djokovic will pull it all together. J- just one final point. As a result of looking on the Pepe Emails website, just go to the gallery, David. It's like it's like sort of stills from a late era Michael Jackson music video. It is. It is. I'm, so, I'm quite looking forward to it now. So, so amusing. But there are lots of quotes on there. And all of them focus on uh, how winning is unimportant. It's all about how peace and love is really important. And it really doesn't... He actually talks about how winning a tournament isn't a thing. Entering a tournament, winning is completely irrelevant. And I find this enormous irony with seeing Djokovic on the court. And the point that you made on the last podcast has really resonated with me. That Djokovic loves winning at the moment more than he loves tennis. That's the contrast to... Roger Federer. Roger Federer can find joy in tennis whether he's winning or not. He'd, he'd very much prefer to win. But Djokovic is struggling to enjoy tennis without winning or without winning tournaments, certainly. And the irony of seeing all this stuff on Pepe Emers' website about how winning is completely unimportant, I just don't see that being adopted by Djokovic 
at all. I mean, that that is not his that is not his mindset, and yet he, that's that's the guy he's got in his box at the moment. Incidentally, he said in Rome that the announcement of his new coaching team might now wait until after the French Open. So we have the prospect of him rocking up in Paris to defend his title with only Pepe Amaz in tow in his coaching team. That would be quite something. David Law is looking at me contemplatively. I think he wants another coffee. We're going to have a little break to get him another coffee and we'll be back with plenty more punchy tennis chat in a moment. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This edition of the Tennis Podcast is sponsored by Tennis Channel and Tennis Channel Plus is the place to watch the French Open. They've got every court live and you can watch on your phone or on your smart TV in HD. Sounds great. There's genuinely nothing I like more than watching multiple courts with matches everywhere. And can I just sit and watch court shows in Longland all day? You sure can, David. Wherever the stories are, the rivalries emerge and the generations clash, you can watch it all with daily live coverage beginning on Monday, May the 20th. Be there when it happens by subscribing to Tennis Channel Plus to stream daily coverage of Roland Garros. Use promo code TENNISPOD20 for 20% off your annual subscription. So while David Law was replenishing our coffee supply just there, I actually thought of one last point I wanted to make about Novak Djokovic before we move on. Something that occurred to me yesterday, which is a completely bonkers thought, and it is very much a hypothetical, but on the subject of Djokovic potential coaches, a name sprung into my mind that I hadn't thought of before. Oh, yeah. And it almost certainly won't happen because it would require coaching poaching which Ooh, is a Rubicon yeah. never before crossed like I that. mentioned Lendl when we talked about it last time and that would require coaching poaching and that's just not going to happen but I'm, not, I'm not sure that's completely true didn't didn't uh, may, did, did Nadal perhaps poach Moya a little bit off, off well we Ranch? don't know I, I think possibly yeah, maybe. but then but then Nadal sort of always had first dibs on Moya didn't he because of their existing relationship <laughs> don't you think dibs. <laughs> yeah so, yeah, coaching, poaching, a, ru- a Rubicon never before crossed. But I just thought of Goran Ivanovic for Djokovic. Yeah, well, I Somebody mean, that could make it fun and exciting yeah. and dynamic for him again. Somebody that could ignite his game. Something that, OK, Goran was never world number one and a, and a yeah. world beater. But he's somebody that went into the wilderness and questioned whether he would ever find his way back. I, I do feel, I mean... Given your views on Michael Stick a week ago, that slightly does down your your theory. Given that you said that Djokovic needs to have somebody who's who's yeah, been a world more, I would say though that that he has such huge respect and affection for Goran Ivanovic. Which I know that I've seen them they together. Share, they they share a language. Yeah, I, I do feel that, uh, that there is there is a lot of time that they have for each other. We've had Goran on the show in the past, and he just reveres Djokovic as well, doesn't he? And, and um, I'm not sure that Goran is bringing much to, but I don't see much change in the Burdick game. Now that could be well, that's probably more about Burdick and, and his sort of inability to change at this stage I, of his I, career I and just, given the nature of his play. I think but we need to just give them the grass court season and the US hard court season possibly, before making that possibly, decision. Possibly, but, but let's say the call came to Goran. He can't turn that down. He'd find it very tempting. He can't I'm turn sure, that I'm down. I'm sure he would. He, he, he was he's a very loyal guy. He though, is, a lo- he is loyal. Toward, you know. I, I'm not saying he would just, in the blink of an eye, go, oh, yeah, thanks, Novak. Yeah, sorry, Thomas, I'm off. 
I'm not saying that for a second. I'm just saying that is a difficult call to go. go it, it would work. To turn down, it would yeah. work. And I think that Goran would think I can bring more to Djokovic than I can bring to. I think going. He'd loosen him up a bit. It, it would exactly. It'd make it fun. It'd make him excited to go out to practice again. It would, you know, give him that excitement about the sport. I just, I can see it working. Okay. I just don't know whether the call would come because coaching poaching is such a. I was going to say, I'll text Goran and ask him what he thinks, but that would be a a horrific name drop, which I've just done regardless. I'm going to keep talking while David sends sends the text. We we broke news live on the last tennis podcast, didn't we? In inverted commas news. I mean, we don't actually know whether it's real or not. We did well. I mean, Simon Briggs says it, so it must have a decent chance. Exactly, exactly. Well, anyway, that was just a thought I wanted to share. I'm sure it won't happen. Well, I'm not sure. I, I don't think it'll happen, sadly, but I do think it would work. If it happens, we, I think one thing that we can conclude for sure is that Novak Djokovic is a tennis podcast listener. Uh, moving on. <laughs> the tennis <laughs> speculation podcast. <laughs> moving on to other top players who are struggling horrendously. Andy Murray, uh, who I only 12 hours ago was commentating on losing uh, 6-2, 6-4 to Fabio Fanini. Now, I actually don't think that that loss is particularly significant in the narrative of Andy Murray's struggles because... It wasn't about Andy Murray. It was about Fabio Vanini playing the most extraordinary match, one of the most extraordinary matches I've ever seen. I'm sure a highlights reel of that match is already available on YouTube somewhere, on Tennis TV or on Twitter. I mean, it was it was lights out, purple patch. His arm was a bazooka. It was ridiculous tennis, and Andy Murray just wasn't in the match. I mean, the first set was Andy Murray just being completely hit off the court, and the second set was Andy Murray being drop shot to win an, within an inch of his life. I mean, I think I saw about 10 Fabio Fanini drop shots that Murray didn't move for. And I don't think there was anything wrong with him physically. Possibly there was, but usually when there's something wrong with Andy Murray physically, we know about it. He's gesturing towards the, the part of his body which is, which is worrying him. At one point, he did shout out on the court, I can't move, but then his box looked at him as if to say, you can, Andy. <laughs> it's just this bloke is... Uh, knocking you off the court well, and, he was, and he was messing with his mind uh, I, I agree I mean I've seen Fabio Fanini do that to, to Murray once before in, in the Davis Cup in Naples and and yeah it's it's quite a shock to, to witness Andy Murray looking so impotent out there really but Fabio Fanini has a skull as a logo on his shirt which I find pretty pretty menacing to, to look at what he really should have is a peacock because that's what he is well he does have a what well, either a puma or a jaguar or a one of those types of animals on his back doesn't yeah, he? he he which does but you know you, you, he, when he's in the mood Fanini he's, he's whiplashing these winners all over the place and then feathering these most delicious drop shot winners he then walks in between the points with his shoulders back, you know, his chest like, oh, down. I'm not really trying. Uh, it's say, just sort of happening. Say, I could do whatever I want. I've got a baby due in three days. I could do whatever no I want whenever I want. And I decide when to turn it on. I mean, if, if a tennis, tennis players don't have these switches that we sometimes suggest that they flick and become these better players, but if any player did, he'd be surely the most likely to have one uh, tucked away somewhere. But Fanini, I mean, if he could reproduce that level of tennis regularly he would be a Grand Slam champion oh. because the, the, there is he'd, he'd there's win not a Grand really Slam barely dropping uh, games let's not I mean, forget, it was unplayable he did this to, to Rafael Nadal from two sets to love down he's the only player since I think Federer when Nadal was about eight years old that has managed to beat him from two sets to love down and, and, and it was that kind of tennis it was just there's no response to it um, so how about Andy Murray? I mean, yeah. Let, let's take the Fanini match out of the equation yeah, it, look, and analyse Andy Murray's. It's a pretty, form. it's a pretty difficult time that he's going through on court because he can't get any rhythm going. We, we had your interview with him, tennis podcast extra, extra from two or three weeks ago, in which you know he still seemed pretty upbeat because he felt quite good on the court. He hasn't been able to get it going since then, and, and until he can start winning some of these matches and just getting some root rhythm to, to his daily routine and, and to just get out there and know what it feels like regularly to win matches the way he normally does. I don't quite know how he breaks out of this 
funk that he's in. Do you, you know? think we might see him take a wild card into either Geneva or Lyon? It would be completely unprecedented for him to play the week before a slam. Top Based players on, just don't do that, but he is so short of matches. I heard your so commentary on that on ATP Radio last night, and I was ruminating on it and, and wondering whether he might. But then I read his quotes uh, after the match. Imme- admittedly, they were they were immediate quotes. I, I'd be surprised. Um, personally, he, he's talked about meeting Lendl early on in Paris. Lendl um, is what he needs next sure. week. I certainly think that that having having that as a base. Look, let's not forget though that Murray very nearly lost in the first and second rounds of the French Open last year, and I still don't think it would take too much for Murray to start feeling it again in a Grand Slam arena. He he doesn't need that much to start feeling himself again. I completely agree with you, but. Let's look back at those opening couple of rounds last year, which he almost lost, and which he, well, which Boris Becker believes eventually cost him the title. When Becker was asked what the difference was between Murray and Djokovic in the final, he said the five hours extra that Murray had spent on court. Yes, I agree with you. Murray can play himself into form over best of five sets, over seven matches at a Grand Slam. The problem is playing Andy Murray playing himself into form means sort of long, tight matches. I believe what he needs is some, uh, you know, a big fight back, a big fight through a tight match to click himself yeah, into form. Yeah. And that'll cost him in the end. In a gra- He has to be entering every Grand Slam with the goal of winning it. He's the world number one and he doesn't want to be going in thinking, oh, I'll use these first few rounds to have, you know, he. you need to be rollicking your way through the first few rounds quickly to save energy Fact for the second is, week. Though, he doesn't Catherine, want to be playing himself if, in. If, if Nadal keeps playing like this... Irrelevant. It's I, all I'm irrelevant. not sure anybody will, will stop him. Um, Murray just needs to start feeling like himself. So at least he gives himself the best chance of winning as many tennis matches as he can. I, I agree with you. A big tussle get inspired start feeling like himself again because he doesn't he doesn't look like himself at the moment but we know enough about this man to know that it doesn't take that much for it to start happening no i'd agree with you it's going to be very interesting to see but i also agree that <laughs> it's almost all in irrelevance unless nadal sort of falls over into, what, a, into uh, a black uh, hole well, of some I, sort. I did ask who, who would nadal mo- least like to face Kyrgios. at the french open well i would actually say fanini would be right up there Oh, yeah, um, I'd agree in, with that. In, in that sort of form, I mean, Kyrgios at the moment is, seems like he's struggling a little bit. He's got a hip injury. He, I, th- I think that the whole process of, of, of the, the death of his grandfather, the time he's taken out of the sport, the, the contemplation about all of that, I think it, it's probably just winded him. Um, and, and he's an emotional character. He feels things pretty deeply, I think. And, and his... his intensity and his focus on just trying to be the best tennis player he can be it's going to wax and wane a little bit I don't think you're going to have this he's not Zverev Zverev has this tunnel vision about playing tennis it seems to me Kyrgios is a much more sensitive character yeah I'd agree with you and I feel silly for not having thought of Fabio Fanini, having just who else, waxed by the way? lyrical. I mean, you know, who else would, who, who not else would Nadal face? not want to? I mean, I still think Djokovic, you know, if you ran into him in a semi-final. Vadasco on an absolute hot streak, but I still don't think he's going to be particularly troubled by that. Vadasco got the first set off David Goffin yesterday in Rome and looked great and then Goff- completely Goffin collapsed. Goffin looks like a player, doesn't he, at the moment? Oh, My he looks goodness. great. I'm loving watching him, but he's still... There's no way he's going to beat Nadal over best of five sets. Well, the other thing is Nadal has got that locker room power back. He has got that feeling of, Absolutely. I'm coming for you. And you, you, I don't care who's in my way. <laughs> yes. Now, we're moving on now to elements of any other business. But very quickly, David, before... I mean, the any other business list is sort of a podcast in itself. But, so don't you worry. If you're thinking there are big sort of Federer-related topics uncovered, we will, we will be touching on them. But very quickly, David, I'm a bit worried about our Grigor. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm not. Just a little bit. I mean, match points against team threw uh, them yeah. away, uh, and well, then Del Potro the other night he I, had break points in that deciding set. I just somebody re- give him a his, hug. His reaction to them is is the bigger concern. Is he going to suffer from it the way he did last year after the Istanbul loss of a similar type? Now. My hope on his behalf is that he looks at it as I look at it, which is actually you got yourself to match point against Dominic Team, who ended up reaching the final and pushing Nadal. That's a good performance. He, sh- he should have ended up winning that match. I, I agree. Um, the one against Del Potro. But David, it's, you're it's the Del most Potro. positive man in the world. Other people, other people are unable to be that relentlessly positive. 
well, maybe I could be part of the team. No, I can't because I'm an independent tennis David podcast Law, broadcaster. Big news. David Law brought on as sort of peace, love and positivity coach for Grigor Dimitrov. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I, I what, do. What's your slogan, I think David? He's playing, I think Dimitrov. Amori Paz E. Amori Paz E. What's positivity? In, I, I think uh, I'd just go a, with stop whinging, get over it, <laughs> carry on. Um, I mean, my, honestly, my, my view is that Dimitrov, I didn't see him play those spring matches in Miami and Indian Wells. I don't know how he was playing, and I know he had a big letdown after the loss to Jack Sock. Um, I was actually really impressed with him at tiebreak tens when when he he won that and and I know it's not quite the same but but he he won it he went into Madrid I think he he played really well against team I think he played for, certainly for for a set and a bit really well against Del Potro um, but he needs to play that level of tennis on the grass for instance and then you know he can actually be a contender certainly certainly a semi finalist. Well, he's been a semi-finalist before. Yeah, and I I don't think that's beyond him at all. Absolutely not. I mean, nothing's beyond him. He's, tennis-wise, one of the best. Nothing's beyond him. Now then, Roger Federer. (laughs) Again, seems like it was an age ago that this was announced. It was only two days ago. Roger Federer will not be playing Roland Garros. Is this a surprise, David Law? No, talking to the people that I've spoken to since that, there's a lot of people, I mean, maybe they're being wise after the event. A lot of people in the know feel that that it was an inevitability to some degree. Andy Roddick, I was hearing talking this morning, saying I think it's a really smart decision. This is this is Roger Federer giving himself the best chance of winning major titles and being relevant at the age he's at for longer. Now, I, I, I actually couldn't agree more with him. I think he's, he's quite right there. Um, I, I also think some people have suggested that maybe he's had one look at Nadal's form and thought, <laughs> I don't fancy that too much. Uh, thinking back to the, the, the beating he took at the 2008 uh, French Open particularly. I think it's more that he, he is riding a momentum. Even if he's had three months off going into the grass court season, season, in his mind, he's still riding that wave. He's only lost one match all year. I don't think he would want to to, to now go to the French Open and have a, a defeat either to somebody who on another surface wouldn't live with him or Nadal and a real pasting and just erode a little bit of that aura. I mean, at the moment, he's frightening everybody to death. At the moment, if he steps onto court, centre court at Wimbledon against Nadal in the final, the last memory that Nadal will have in his mind is of being beaten by him in Indian Wells, Miami and, and, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can see and the that, Australian Open. That's prob- that may, f- and I think that generally factors into to Federer's thinking, not necessarily about Nadal, but about everybody. At the moment, they're all scared stiff of me. I'm like... The, the, the less I play now, the more my aura grows because everybody just remembers what I've done, A, in the past, and B, this year. Um, I still think, though, I mean, if they did face at Wimbledon, if Nadal does win the French from here, I mean, at the moment, he's like a bull with steam coming out of his nostrils. I'm not sure. Who can stop the I guy? Do think that, I do think the grass is different because of his knees and whether he can get down to the ball enough at Wimbledon I do think the knees are more of an issue at Wimbledon than elsewhere but look I'm not I'm not I'm not counting Nadal out of anything at the moment right, Federer, right I, mean, decision, the, the, I, I get the decision the, I it's do a shame too. I mean, in look, a way but I, get I mean it. look nobody should be questioning Roger Federer's decision making here if he's proved anything it's that he knows how to manage his schedule his body his everything Roger Federer knows best so the fact that he's made this decision means by definition it's the right decision the subtext to it is I think I can win Wimbledon uh, and he's going to play Stuttgart he's going to play Haller and he's going to play Wimbledon can't you give him to Queens David uh, no he's like your best mate well, can't you give him to Queens he's, he's I don't not. care about the lifetime Haller, Haller deal <laughs> no I mean, look can't you say I was the last person you spoke there's to there's three of the world's you... top four coming what more do you want I want Roger Federer. I want David Law to deliver Roger Federer to Queens. I did have a conversation with him about it about 10 years ago. Um, didn't go very far. <laughs> <laughs> Damn you, Roger. Um, yeah, so he won't be at the French Open, nor will Sharapova, nor will Serena. That's going to be very interesting indeed. But yes, Roger Federer obviously thinks, right, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a miss. I'll, I'll see about winning Wimbledon. And who, uh, Is he the bookie's favourite for Wimbledon? Yeah, I'd think so. 
Yeah, well, well, I mean, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, I'm, I'm very David curious Laura to find out. David Law is looking it up, uh, out. and that's a perfect favorite. opportunity for me to move on to the next any other business topic, which. I mean, this is our sort of weekly Dan Evans segment. Unfortunately, it's a it's a it's a Dan Evans segment with a, a rather less jolly tone than usual because he's got himself embroiled in a little bit of controversy by questioning, or rather, more than questioning, he's outright said that he believes that uh, Slovenian-born British citizen Aliash Bedene is not British at all. Now there is. It's not completely out of the blue, this. I mean, he's hinted at these sorts of feelings before, most significantly with a tweet he posted a few weeks ago when uh, Aliash Badene was uh, posting some good results in the Challenger circuit. I think it was after he won his second back-to-back title and uh, BBC Sport tweeted about it and he replied with sort of five crying, smiley, laughy faces saying if only uh, he could play Davis Cup. Uh, and he's now uh, he's been pressed on his true feelings about Aliash Badani and he said it's nothing personal against him but he's he's just not British and I think it stems from uh, a feeling of resentment about the coverage that Badene is receiving Dan Evans feels like he is proportionally receiving more compared to himself I don't think he's particularly got a point there personally I mean as somebody in the British media I mean I feel like I talk about Dan Evans a lot. Evans <laughs> gets plenty of he coverage. He gets plenty uh, of and, coverage. And actually, I mean, he also pointed the finger at, at, at BBC Sport and, and the LTA social media channels. Look, I, I know everybody involved in those channels, and they they love Dan Evans, and they give him loads of coverage. Yeah. Uh, he, I'm sorry, he's just wrong about Yeah, he's that. wrong about that. Uh, and, and I'm quite happy to tell him that. I have told him that. Um, as regards to, to Bedene, I mean, look, I know what he's saying. I, d- I just I don't agree with him. Uh, I mean, look, the, the, the simple facts are that Bedene has become a British citizen legally, officially. The only thing he can't do is play Davis Cup. Just get over it. It's, it's, it's the way it is. And uh, I, I, I would prefer he'd have kept those thoughts to himself, frankly. Um, they came immediately after a loss. He was asked about it. I don't see why he, why he got involved in that at all. He decided to. His his choice. I personally don't agree with him. Yeah, I don't see what's to be gained from his perspective by putting those thoughts out there. I think it was just sort of a, a rash, hot-headed thing. I Look, I, I, I'm i the same. I don't agree with him. It's not that I don't think there isn't any point there at all. I look at figure skating, which I cover um, a little bit for Eurosport, and... In figure skating, in pairs figure skating, nationality has become a complete uh, joke, really, because couples team up and you switch. Couples have to represent the same country, and almost every single couple in figure skating is from two separate countries, but they're representing one country, and somebody's just switched nationality in the space of the last 12 months. And um, the integrity of nationality has been completely eroded. I do see that there is something to be protected there. It has to be meaningful. Nationality has to be meaningful. However, and I, and I get that there are all sorts of reports swirling around that Aliash Badene is, I think there are reports that he's living in Slovenia, that he's in talks with uh, the Slovenian Federation about playing Davis Cup for them. I have no idea of the validity of those. We have no reason to think that, uh, that those are provable at the moment. As and when they are, we will discuss them. But let's assume that those are not backed up by fact. Alesh Badene certainly hasn't confirmed them. The facts are he's a British citizen and he wants to represent this country. He lives here. He feels strongly about this country. And uh, I, I, I think there is a point to be made about nationality, but the point it, it's not a black and white thing. It's sort of a feeling and and the, there is no sort of singular line that can be drawn anywhere. I, I, I get that sort of a point maybe that Dan Evans is getting at, but the point is he hasn't made any logical arguments to back this up. If there are logical arguments there, he hasn't used them. And I, and I think actually what disappointed me more than Dan Evans' sort of casual questioning of Bedene's nationality was that tweet where he said, ha 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 if only he could play Davis Cup because that's a real source of upset and distress for Aliash Badene we know that regardless of what you think about his nationality we know that that has been an immense source of distress for him over the last couple of years and that's 
Dan Evans just laughing at him for it, and that's mean. Whatever you make of the yeah, national, I'm, I'm I not know sure he was, was laughing casual. at him. I think he might have been laughing at the coverage. He, w- uh, he, w- uh, he w- I agree. We, um, he's I, not. I, th- he's I don't not think he's a malicious guy I at agree, all. Uh, but I, think, I, th- I don't see. I just don't see the point. But in it getting wasn't involved kind. In that. It, it wasn't kind. And look, wait, look some of the arguments he made back. He said, "Oh, Bedene doesn't even know what the Sun newspaper is." If, as if that's kind of some kind of marker of Britishness. Your awareness of the Sun newspaper. You, God help us if that's the world we live in, where that's your marker of Britishness. I mean. I owe to be Aliash Bedene if he's got no awareness of the Sun newspaper. Um, yeah, I mean, and where do you draw the line? Does he think Joe Conter's British? I mean, does 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 he think does he think somebody uh, that was uh, born elsewhere and moved here at the age of six months old is British? I mean, I suspect that he doesn't have answers to these questions. Well, very inexact science, all of it, isn't it? And frankly, I'd think he'd just be better off cracking on with his career yeah keep playing tennis Dan keep trying to crack the clay (laughs) stay stay away from controversial topics couple of other bits of any other business Uh, Nick Kyrgios has announced officially that uh, he has employed Sebastian Grosjean former French player as a part time coach and said that he's been working with him informally since February now it surprises me it wasn't a name that I would have tossed out into the ether as a potential coach but the fact that they've been working together since February and Kyrgios has been playing very well and has shown attitudinal improvements since February suggests to me maybe it could work. Yeah, and look, trying to read Nick Kyrgios is, is frankly a pointless exercise, both on, on and off the court. Players don't understand what he's going to do next. We don't understand or have the ability to predict with any confidence what he's going to do off the court. Sebastian Grosjean has, has had some coaching experience with uh, with Richard Gasquet. He was an excellent player himself. He, he's a very likable guy, very calm, easy to get along with character in my experience. And uh, yeah, w- whatever works. Quite honestly, I just I just hope that Kyrgios can can get himself fully fit over whatever hip problem he might have at the moment. I hope he is a force on grass. I hope he's at his best on grass. If we saw the Kyrgios that played in Miami and Indian Wells on grass at Queens and Wimbledon, we're in for a treat. That, that's all I hope. I, I don't know whether that's going to be possible physically, mentally, psychologically, emotionally, whatever. If, if he is that, we're in for, for an amazing few weeks. Yeah, I completely agree. And as much as you know, there are, everyone's pointed out the immense differences in the way that Kyrgios and Grosjean play and approach the game, I don't think that's the point, really. I don't think Kyrgios wants anyone to tell him how to hit his forehand or hit his serve. I think he just wants somebody that makes him excited to go out and practice, makes him want to stay on the practice court that extra 15 minutes that he perhaps doesn't feel inclined to do. And if Sebastian Grosjean is that man, then good luck to him. He's also based in Miami, I believe, Grosjean, which is where Ilya Tomljanovic, Kyrgios's girlfriend, is based. And we know he suffers from being away from home in Australia, being away from his girlfriend. So I think all those factors are positive. One final, I promise this is the very final bit of any other business of this tennis podcast. Um, the ATP have announced the details or some of the details for the hashtag next gen finals in Milan later this year. Big fanfare yesterday. Interesting that they chose the day that they knew the Sharapovan announcement was going to be on. I found that interesting because they yeah, knew yeah, it would get. Surprising. It got a bit of fanfare at the time and plenty of people reported it on Twitter. But then, of course, by the end of the day, um, when deadlines were hitting, it was completely engulfed by the Sharapova news, which they knew was coming. But anyway, uh, no huge surprises in there. There's going to be a shot clock. They're going to try no ad. They're going to try no let. There's going to be free movement of people um, a la the European Union inside the stadium, (laughs) inside inside the stadium, (laughs) a la not the UK, but the rest of the EU, Um, inside the stadium in Milan. Uh, What else is there going to be? It's going to be first, it's going to be best of five sets, but sets are going to be first to four games with a tie break at three all. And for me, the most interesting, David, is that there's going to be on-court coaching, but not with coaches on court. It's going to be via some kind of yes. headset. Yeah, that's the most interesting element. Which I completely agree. sounds completely open to technical fault. Uh, to oh, well, me. I love and it. I love, I love it. it as well. Mm. But I think my interpretation of this, and Chris Kermode completely denies it, and we very much like Chris Kermode here on the Tennis Podcast, so maybe I'm completely wrong here, is that 
my interpretation is that the ATP quite like on-court coaching, but they don't want to admit that because it's a WTA thing and they don't want to be seen to be copying the WTA because, you know, that would be beneath them. So they've gone, we'll do it a bit differently. We'll do it via headsets. <laughs> my, my interpretation is that they're all listeners to the Tennis Podcast <laughs> and we're trying to think, you know, that's a fair point about the old translation issue of viewers understanding what's going on if they're not speaking English. So let's do that. Oh, we could do it by headsets and then we could have a little team of people, who, you know, dropping out all these uh, subtitles. But you can have that with... With the coaches on yeah, court, you could. you could have translation. Well, look, I, I mean, I, I'm all I for the translation, look, absolutely. Chris has been um, consistent in his view that he doesn't like on-court coaching. I've known this from, from years ago. Yeah, he, that, that um, is genuine. And it's, that makes it all the more to his credit show, that he's prepared he? to try he, it. He was on the show with us a year ago, and, and pretty much everything we talked to him about has come to pass in this announcement yesterday. But, look, I'm, I'm sure there is an element to that. I think maybe they're looking at the WTA model and thinking, we don't quite agree with that. How, el- how but there's could something we, in it. How could we test it? And, you know, not everybody yesterday w- was hugely positive about the fact that they're trying all this stuff out at this event i i like it i personally think they're throwing all these things at the wall and they're seeing which stick and and see what the reaction is if you don't try it how can you know i think it's great do it i say and and uh, and i'm looking forward to seeing it in action yeah i completely agree the the headsets thing um i i I don't know what it's going to look like (laughs) I think it's awesome. I really like that idea. And, um, yeah, I'm fascinated to see it. Whether it could ever get onto the main circuit, I don't know. But then, you know, we see these uh, interviews conducted by SBN and Sky with the players with their headsets on. That looks very strange 15 years ago but yeah, it's true. boy it works it's really yeah, it good. works it works and I, I suspect that has been part of the inspiration for it it really works i'm just pleased that they're trying things i'm pleased that chris commode is a ceo that goes well i don't actually like on-court coaching but it's not all about just my personal preferences i could be wrong let's give it a go let's see if it works i think that's a really good thing and i'm all for it and i think the next gen finals um are going to be quite interesting really I agree too. So I think, I think, David, our punchy podcast is finally <laughs> coming to a bit of an end. Uh, we have, I think, covered every major happening in the world of tennis. Is there anything else that you would like to mention? There is one thing, and uh, it is not the nicest news that we received in the tennis world over the past uh, week, but it is something that, that, that is really important, I think, generally, and certainly to me on a personal note, which is that the tournament director of what was then known as the Stella Artois Championships um, before Aegon took over sponsorship of the event at the Queen's Club was a Mr Ian White before Chris Commode took charge of the event in 2007 Ian White was the tournament director between 1995 and 2007 he had 30 years of involvement in that tournament helping to make it what it is today which I know I'm biased because I work at the event but in my view, it is one of the best tournaments on, on the calendar. Ian White was a huge part of making it what it is today. Unfortunately, sadly, he died uh, in the past uh, couple of weeks. It is going to be his funeral actually today as we record this. It's something that I, I'm going to go and attend. And uh, I just wanted to pay tribute to him really as somebody who was there certainly when I started working at the tournament 20 years ago. He did an amazing job in, in that event and um, our thoughts are very much with his, his family and his friends. Very, very well said, David. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's important that it was said because, as, as you absolutely point out, he was a huge part in making a wonderful tournament what it is today and we're all very much looking forward to it in a few weeks' time and we'll think of him fondly during that tournament. It's amazing to think that there's a whole Grand Slam to come before then and the grass court season will be upon us before we know it we will be back next week we hope on monday thank you for your patience awaiting this tennis podcast actually i hope you'll agree that it's enabled us to cover some really big tennis stories that we wouldn't have been able to cover uh, had the podcast come out on monday so thank you migraine gods for intervening and allowing just us don't to bring do it again the up-to-date news we have been the punchy tennis podcast we've been Catherine Whittaker and david law brought to you in association with the telegraph and with eurosport and we will be back very very soon 
hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 